And now it's time to shift gears. We're back into our study from 1 Peter. We're looking at a topic that is controversial and one that uh, offends many people, but something we need to address because Scripture addresses it. So I begin by asking a couple of questions that might seem a little impertinent. Have you ever crossed a picket line? Have you ever walked one? What do you think about unions and strikes and scabs? Should anyone be forced to join a union as a condition of employment? And if you are a union member and the union votes to strike, should you? Would you? What about government workers and policemen and school teachers? You know, these are questions we all have to face, and I'm sure we have a variety of opinions on how they should be answered. But before we express our opinion too loudly, maybe we ought to check the Scriptures once again to make sure our thoughts are in line with those of our Lord. And he hasn't been silent in this area. He may not have addressed the specific situations we've had to face, but he has given us principles to apply in all situations. And Peter makes it very clear that just as the principle of submission applies in our relationship with the king, so it applies with authorities in the workplace. Now, he specifically applies it to the relationship of a servant to his master. But I believe what he has to say can rightfully be applied to employees in a free society as well. See if you don't agree. Again, we're coming to our study 1 Peter chapter 2, and we begin with the call for submission. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. Now, Peter is addressing this to servants. And much of the New Testament is actually addressed to servants and slaves, but that shouldn't surprise us. There were 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire when Peter wrote this letter. They'd come from all parts of the world as a result of Rome's conquests, and they came from all classes. Many have been government officials, doctors, lawyers, teachers, as well as soldiers and laborers, but now they were slaves and they had no legal rights. Now, some were treated well and even given the promise of their freedom someday, but many were treated like animals, even branded and viewed as living, speaking tools, nothing more. And for the most part, they were a very restless and bitter, militant group. There were constantly uprisings in one place or another, some big, some small. There was one slave uprising in Sicily in which over 50,000 slaves rose up against their masters and rampaged across the island, 
burning, looting, and killing. It took the Roman army several years to subdue them. These were bitter, restless people. And many of them were becoming Christians. Immediately, the question was raised, how should we as slaves respond to our masters? Should we throw off the yoke of slavery now that Christ has set us free? What should we do? Well, Peter, Paul, and others wrote to answer this question. And Peter's word to them is submit with all respect. You are still a slave. And now, even more than before, you must be a good slave. You must submit to your master's authority over you. Now, that was not sanctioning slavery as an institution. Eventually, Christianity would work like leaven to change the society and lead men to to see the injustice of such a system. As masters were converted, they were taught to treat their slaves like brothers. And eventually it would become obvious that a brother should not enslave another. But for now, slavery was a part of the social and economic order, and it was not to be overthrown by converted slaves. They were to submit. And not only were they to submit to those masters who were good and gentle, but also to those who were unreasonable or perverse. The word means not straight, crooked. The masters who dealt with them unfairly, who who abused them, who viewed them as nothing more than property, to them they were to submit. Now, none of us are slaves. We may feel like it at times, but we're not slaves. Yet it is true that in a sense, for the 40 or so hours a week your employer buys your time, you are his slave. You have given up your right to do what you want and have pledged to do what he wants. So what Peter says to slaves does apply to us. We are to obey our masters, our employers. We're to do what they tell us to do, as long as it doesn't violate what God has told us to do. And we are to do so respectfully. And we're not only to obey those who are good and gentle, but also those who are unreasonable, perverse, crooked, unjust. Those who ignore you, who never say thank you, who never appreciate you, who treat you like a stick of furniture around the office, those who blame you for things you never did and who never encourage you in the thankless Monday jobs they give you to do. Even to that kind of boss, Peter says, submit and do so respectfully. Now, we do have some options open to us that Roman slaves didn't have. 
In our society, we do have the freedom to negotiate and the freedom to change jobs. There's nothing wrong with respectfully asking for higher wages or better working conditions. We can even band together to let our employer know that a majority of his employees feel the same way. But we must at all times show him respect and recognize his right to refuse our request. At that point, if we so choose in our society, we are free to leave his employ and seek another job. But I think that what Peter says makes it clear that we do not have the right to defy our employer and try to force his hand. That option is not open to us, not as Christians. Now, Scripture does have plenty to say to employers. And James makes it clear that God hears the cries of employees who are defrauded and treated unfairly. And that God will deal with such employers on the judgment day, if not before. But that's not our concern today. Peter's word is to employees. And that word is obey and respect your employer. Again, you may ask, why should I submit? And again, Peter doesn't keep us in the dark about the reason. Verses 19 and 20. For this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience toward God... A man bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if, when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. Quite simply, we are to submit because this finds favor with God. He has asked us to do it, and when we do it, he is pleased. That alone should be enough of a reason to submit. After all, he has done for us, and the future he has planned for us, an eternity of joy and happiness. We shouldn't get bent out of shape when he asks us to submit to those in authority over us while on earth, even if that submission leads to suffering. And it might. It might. However, Peter makes it clear that we must make sure that any suffering we might have to endure is not brought on by our own sinful responses and attitudes. Now, suffering because we're lazy Rebellious, irresponsible employees impresses no one, least of all God. But God is pleased when the suffering we endure is unjust, the result of doing what is right in a sin-dominated world. If we suffer for doing what is right, Peter says that finds favor with God. 
Not that he likes to see us suffer, but because we're doing what is right. Now, interestingly, the, the favor we find can also be translated grace. And that may indicate that if we are suffering unjustly, God will give us the grace we need to endure it and the strength to be gracious with others, even those who are causing the suffering. After all, since God deals graciously with us, he expects us to show grace to others, even crooked ungrateful bosses, even those who misuse us and take advantage of us. Watchman Nee tells the story of a Chinese rice farmer that illustrates the kind of grace we're to show to others. The farmer's fields were arranged in terraces up the side of a mountain, and he watered them by pedaling a bicycle-like device that pumped water from a stream to the fields. Every day, he would pump for an hour to water his fields. One day, he discovered that a neighbor whose fields were below his had punched a hole in his dike and drained his field to water his. After repairing the hole and pumping his fields full, he talked to the neighbor, but the neighbor refused to quit breaking his dike. Day after day, he repaired holes and pumped his fields a second time, all the time, begging his neighbor to quit. Finally, he decided further action was needed. He hooked a pipe into his neighbor's field and pumped it full first. <laughs> now, that's not weakness. That's grace. Fighting for his rights would never have opened the man up to Christ. But demonstrating what grace is all about with a Christ-like spirit might. And that is why Jesus said, But I say to you, do not resist him who is evil. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. And whoever shall force you to go one mile, go with him too. As Christians, we are called to demonstrate to the world what grace is all about. And that includes demonstrating it to employers when we do everything we can to please them and they still abuse us. But we take it patiently and are kind to them. You know, God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is grace. And that is what we are called to show. But you ask, how can I do it? How can I do this? It's so hard, and my boss is so unfair. It's impossible to take the abuse I have to take and not be bitter and rebellious. No one could put up with what I have to put up with. 
Peter responds to that kind of thinking by reminding us of Jesus' example, the perfect example of submission. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Without a doubt, Jesus left us an example to follow in this matter of submission. And the word translated example is very interesting. It literally means underwriting and refers to the way writing was taught in Greek and Roman schools. A teacher would write the alphabet on a papyrus sheet or slate, and then students would trace the letters following the example of the teacher. That's the kind of example Jesus has left for us. One we can trace. And as Peter was speaking to servants, he wisely quoted Isaiah when he spoke of the example Jesus left for us because Isaiah pictured the Messiah as a suffering servant. Gathering up a number of statements about the suffering servant, Peter wrote, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Jesus never sinned, yet he suffered. He never lied, never shaded the truth, never exaggerated. He's the only truly honest man to ever walk on the planet, absolutely honest in both life and word. Peter had walked with the Lord for three and a half years and had seen him in every conceivable circumstance in the morning when he was tired from an inadequate sleep, in the evening when he was weary from a hard day. He had seen him under pressure, under attack, when people were indifferent to him. Yet he never heard from the Lord one word of complaint. Jesus never threatened, never tried to justify himself, never lashed out in irritation. He never did any of the things we would expect from a person who was unjustly treated. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. He didn't say, just wait till I come back again. And you get yours. He took it. And he was totally innocent. He was tried, convicted, sentenced, and put to death. And all the charges were illegal. They were trumped up. But he never defended himself. He was never even resentful. 
He was, as Isaiah said, like a sheep led to the slaughter. How could he do it? Peter tells us he was able to bear up under gross injustice because he entrusted himself to God. He didn't try to defend himself. He let God defend him. He knew there was only one truly righteous judge in the world, his heavenly Father. And he could trust his Father to defend him, to justify him, to set things right. And that he did by raising him from the dead and giving him a place at the right hand in glory. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus demonstrated to us that God can be trusted. That we can do things his way and come out on top, even though it may not appear to be the case at the moment. And through his death, don't forget, he paid for our sins and freed us from sin's bondage. We no longer have to sin. We can now live life on a higher level than those around us. We do not have to respond to injustice like everyone else does. Jesus died to free us from sinful responses. So we can now respond graciously even to unreasonable employers. We don't have to get bitter when mistreated. We don't have to strike back when abused. God has shown grace to us and has asked us to show the same grace to others. And not only that, he said we don't have to fight and defend ourselves and and our rights because he wants to be our shepherd. guardian. If we will entrust ourselves to him, he will take care of us. He'll see to it that our needs are met. And in the end, he will work all things out for our benefit. We will come out on top eternally if we will just let him be our shepherd and guardian. So we can submit to our employers. We can be what our master wants us to be. We can graciously respond to injustice, and we will do so if we have submitted to him and his will. And that is the real question before us today. Have you submitted to the Master? Have you surrendered your all to Him? If you haven't, nothing I've said will make any sense. If you have, it'll make sense. 
And it's my prayer that if you have not, you'll do so. And then life itself will make sense. We surrender to the Lordship of Christ. We surrender to our Master. We do what He's asked us to do, whether we feel like it or not. That's what it means to belong.